Hi, and thanks for listening to a little more conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne. Today we speak to a Vancouver Island senior about why she stepped in to stop a much larger suspected shoplifter. Turns out she was just fed up. She tells us why. With federal conservative MPs set to vote on whether or not to keep Aaron O'Toole as their leader tomorrow, we ask him if and how he can survive and what the future holds for the party if he doesn't. But first, we head to Coots, Alberta, where the mayor weighs in on an illegal blockade of more than 100 vehicles that remains at the Canada-U.S. border crossing tonight, angry over vaccine mandates, and why he says it's left his village cut off. The trucker protest in Ottawa is not the only one getting lots of attention tonight. We begin in Coots, Alberta, where the RCMP moved in today to break up an illegal blockade at the Canada-U.S. border. About 100 vehicles have been blocking traffic through the busy crossing into a fourth day today in protest of COVID-19 vaccine mandates for truckers. Protester Shell Laundry says she has no plans to leave. We need to do this to actually get our government to wake up and stop pressing mandates and realize that our citizens are this country and we need to have the right to choose what we do, whether we're going to be vaccinated or not vaccinated. Well, police moved in after talks with those at the blockade broke down under the province's Critical Infrastructure Defense Act. Here's what RCMP Corporal Curtis Peters said earlier today. We'd begun to remove some vehicles from the protest area. Um, a few left. I'm not, I didn't get an exact count of how many went out. And then we received notification that um, additional protesters were arriving on the scene and came around our secure area. So- Police did not clear everyone away. In fact, others arrived. And says the Premier, Jason Kenney, there was a confrontation with police. Here's what Alberta Premier Jason Kenney had to say a little earlier today. Reports in the last hour of people uh, allied with the protesters assaulting RCMP officers, including in one instance trying to ram members of the RCMP, uh, later leading to a collision with a civilian uh, vehicle uh, in the area. This kind of conduct is totally unacceptable. You have democratic rights like freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, uh, and freedom of, uh, of speech and protest, which you can exercise in countless ways without uh, creating public safety hazards and creating this kind of unlawful conflict. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney a little earlier today discussing the blockade of a border crossing in Coots, Alberta. Well, one person who's been calling for an end of the blockade or to the blockade is the mayor of Coots, Jim Willett, and he joins me now. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Oh, thank you for having me. So what's the scene? We read a lot about what was happening today. What's what's it like this evening? Uh, dark. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, <laughs> it's been right. a long day. It's been Ask a long an obvious day. question. Ask an obvious <laughs> question. <laughs> okay. And cold, let me tell you. I wouldn't want to be out there. It's yeah. uh, about 29, minus 29 with the wind chill, so oh not a pleasant evening to be sitting in a truck by the side of the road. Anyway, um, Basically, what Corporal Peters said there is true. They were making some headway, and then uh, the blockade at Milk River was crashed by a bunch of uh, new guys coming in, and uh, they added to the uh, confusion down here. We've heard stories of uh, farm tractors on their way. They take a little longer to travel, but uh, it's... uh, Somebody is 
more than once the expression fluid the the situation is fluid uh it it changes all all the time Uh, there were a lot of smaller vehicles there for a while today pulled into the ditches blocking uh, access completely and uh making it difficult for citizens to uh, get into the village. Uh, I got a couple of uh, emails this evening or text about uh, people who had gone out and made to come, uh, made the effort to come back to the village, and they had to take the ditches a few times to get around the vehicles. So it's, it's difficult, and our school bus did manage to run this morning. It didn't run yesterday, but the kids got to school, and and uh, from what I hear, they all got back safely. I don't know if the bus ran this afternoon because that was right during the uh, the events that were going on. So they may have may have been able to come around the county roads to get here. We have a back road that's not the greatest, but uh, but anyway, it's uh, it. It's nothing's really changed except the uh, color and shape of the trucks. Have you had any conversations with those at the blockades to explain just the impact on on the citizens in your neck of the woods? Nope. No. Nobody from the uh, convoy has ever communicated with the village of Coots, uh, with the exception of one phone call midweek last week. Somebody phoned to say, we're coming through there with our convoy. We will not block the entrances to the village. So they got here at around noon, and by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, well, they'd forgotten what they promised. So it's uh, it's unfortunate. I've, I've told everybody that has asked me, and believe me, it's a bunch of people by now, uh, that uh, I don't have any problem with protests. I, I believe that you have that right. That's a, a right. That's your, one of your personal rights and freedoms. And uh, everybody in Canada has that right to a peaceful protest. And they originally talked about they were going to fill one lane with uh, with vehicles in a convoy. They were going to go down and go through the U.S. Customs, get rejected, and come back up through Canadian, and then uh, make the loop again. Uh, probably somebody with a legal background convinced them that that wasn't a good idea because they'd never be crossing the U.S. In a, or U.S. border and custom in a uh, truck again. But uh, it's called an exclusion certificate. But anyway, uh, uh, they just somebody decided that the blockade was the better way to do it, and uh, that's what happened. Uh, there for a while. Nobody seemed to know who was in charge. There were several different groups uh, working sort of for the same reason, but uh, not a not a real leader. I think it, that more coalesced more yesterday, and they were in negotiations with the RCMP last night, and then that fell apart, and, and we wound up where we are today. That's a busy border crossing, though, uh, Mayor Willett. As far mm-hmm. I mean, a lot, a lot of, a lot of goods go back and forth across that border. Has it been essentially? I mean, I know there was some coming across today, but is it essentially shut down? Oh, there's not been anything coming across today. Uh, okay. The, uh, yeah, it is totally shut down. Uh, CBSA will caution me to say that the border is open. Uh, CBSA never closes the border, and neither does the uh, U.S. side. But right. uh, if you can't get there in a vehicle, it's a little hard to get through. 
So, uh, <laughs> so the border yeah. the border is technically open, but uh, the traffic can't go through it. There is room. Uh, there are uh, truckers stuck on the south side uh, who have been sitting there now for three or four days, and they're lacking for supplies. Uh, this is according to the transportation minister. They're they're looking uh, to get into the country and get on with their routes so they can get home to their families. And uh, they they have nowhere to go. They could come through the border. I told her today they could come through the border. There is a parking lot there. They should be able to park there, but I don't know what the regulations are. They're, somebody's telling me that the road's blocked on the other side of the border as well. So right. anyway, it's, uh, yeah, it is a big, uh, busy port. It's the, the only 20-hour port between... Uh, Portal, uh, Saskatchewan, and uh, whatever the one is in BC, and so uh, it, it ties into I seventy five, and you're looking at about twelve billion dollars in trade that flows through there annually, eight hundred to twelve hundred trucks a day. I have about thirty seconds left, Mayor Willett. Uh, any hopes that this will come to an end soon? Oh, we can all hope. Uh, <laughs> I. Uh, the the way that the RCMP work is they continue to uh, apply pressure and escalate as they need to until they get the results they want. So I wouldn't want to be out there uh, protesting them. They've, they've given them given the people the option to uh, go away or be uh, towed, ticketed, fined up to I believe it's uh, it's ten or twenty five thousand dollars that the new reg- regulations allow. So. It's a uh, a hefty sum, and it's all for uh, a cause that uh, a lot of people agree with the the fact that the mandate should go away. But uh, nobody's started hurting uh, commerce and uh, their fellow citizens. So. Jim Willett, Mayor of Coots, thanks so much for your time tonight. Thank you. And this is quite the story. Saturday saw quite the sight at a Vancouver Island grocery store. A 73-year-old woman, all 4 foot 11 of her, steps in to take on an alleged shoplifter, 6 foot tall man, heading out the door with what looks like a cart full of groceries. The whole thing was caught on camera and, of course, quickly became a social media sensation. So who is she and why would she take matters into her own hands? We really wanted to find out. So joining me now is Elaine Galloway from Campbell River to explain why she did what she did. Welcome to the show. You're welcome. So, I mean, I guess what everyone wants to know, I think a lot of people may have seen what happened at the end, but where did it all begin during your shopping day? Um, When I was in the cleaning aisle, uh, I went to get some dish soap, and I seen the gentleman shoving roast beef into a back sack. And then I went to a Walmart uh, employee and quietly told her what he was doing, and she said, oh, we can't do it. Uh, we can't stop him. She said, maybe security will stop him on the way out. And so then I proceeded to uh, do all my other shopping and checked out. And then we ran in. He ran, literally ran into me as he was fleeing the store because the security guard had, had, uh, was pulling the cart back, and he ran into me. So if it would have been five minutes sooner, I probably would have been out of the store. Because you hadn't thought about it again, really, in the time since you reported it. Oh, it, it's just been uh, like, like, oh, wow, 
is it that big of a deal <laughs> that I stepped in to help the security guard from from stopping this shoplifter? You know, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't. It's a gut reaction that you do. And um, I knew that uh, by removing his balaclava, uh, the police would have a better picture of him going forward so that they could arrest him. Right. Because most of the back? pictures you see... Oh. Sorry, go ahead. Oh. Most of the pictures you see um, are blurred or, or covered up. Right. So going back to when he bumped into you, right away you realize it's the same person. What goes yes, through I your did. head? <laughs> Nothing. It was just a gut reaction. You were angry. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I was angry that he might run out of the store with a great big grocery cart full of food. What about it really rankled you? I think that there's been so much vandalism here in Campbell River and the cost of everything going up. And um, I I know that um, as everything uh, goes up, we all get frustrated with it. And it was part of, probably part of um, frustration that he might get away with this. Yeah, and did you realize that it was being filmed? Well, yes, I did. Uh, but I assumed that the person filming it was a security guard, a plainclothes security guard. I only found out yesterday that he wasn't. So in that moment, you had some choice words for him, by the way. I think we've um, oh, yeah. well, I don't, them out. I wouldn't hold back. <laughs> No, I'm not. Um, I, I I am meek and mild, but I guess when you get frustrated, things do come out. There was I a mean, big. I called him a coward. Did you call him a coward? Yeah, called him a coward. I said, "Show your face to the camera." There's a big size difference between the two of you. Yes, <laughs> everybody <laughs> commented about that. <laughs> Me being four foot eleven and him being close to six foot. You know. And so our listeners might not know you that well, but but you're you're four foot eleven. Um, I believe yeah. you're retired. Uh, yeah, I'm seventy three years old. Yeah. And one of the reasons I read that you knew about the balaclava thing was because of your work. Right. Uh, yeah. I uh, I worked for CIBC for thirty six years, and seventeen of the thirty six years I was a frontline uh, cashier. And I had been robbed uh, three times at gunpoint. And I know what the police say. Just give them the money, let them run out. And I know that if they rip off their balaclavas, you get a good um, shot of their face. And you can identify them when they go to court. Were you surprised at all at his reaction? Because he just kind of backed away. It seemed like he just was like, oh, I'm going to go now. Well, this is it. I know that most shoplifters, it's all snatch and grab. There's very few of them that they don't want to stick around and be confronted by anybody. I mean, they're hyped up anyway. Yeah. Were you surprised at all about um, about how it went down, how it unfolded after you pulled the balaclava off? No, uh, uh, I, I think it was just all gut reaction. I know we've all been there when we've been kind of at a tense moment and then the adrenaline goes away and you kind of realize what just happened. What were the few minutes afterwards like for you? Oh, when I got to my car, I, I actually realized, you know, how I had confronted the gentleman 
and everything else, I, I realized that it was not a, a good situation to put myself into. I was uh, quite rattled when I got back to my car. I sat there for a few minutes before I was able to drive off. I'm speaking with Elaine Galloway of Campbell River on Vancouver Island, a 73-year-old who confronted a shoplifter, removed his balaclava so the cameras could have a good look, and prevented him from walking out, allegedly, with a grocery cart filled of uh, unpaid-for groceries. Uh, And it's something that's been very popular on social media of late. Did you have any idea afterwards um, just how many people had started to see this? No, I didn't. It wasn't until... uh my fiance's family and my family commented, started commenting, oh, mom, look at this, all over the internet. And I said, oh, <laughs> damn, this internet. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't I, have Facebook, right? I, I only have Facebook and, okay. and email, and, and I have no other, uh, I'm not a very technical person. Were you surprised at just how popular it became? Yeah, I I am. I mean, I realize that there's a lot of people that maybe in the same position, they might have done the same thing. Would you do the same thing again? I don't know. (laughs) That's been asked to me several times. I I think I would probably react the same way. If I've reacted once that way, I probably would react again in the same format. Yeah. I mean, when you look back at it now, what do you make of it? First of all, just what you did and then the reaction to it. I mean, there's been a lot of very positive reaction. There's obviously people out there saying, you know, wow, maybe just let them, well, if, if the store doesn't want to well, stop them. It's just the hardship them. on all the seniors here in Campbell River that have seen the escalating food prices, insurance prices, everything, and their paychecks not going up. Um and when somebody uh, steps in to prevent one case, um, it could in, it could possibly impact all of us by um, helping um, Walmart keep their cost of insurance down. You know, um, things like that. Uh, I mean, those things run through your head later on. Well, yeah, I've, I've saved Walmart like three, four hundred dollars worth of groceries. Have you heard anything from the police, from Walmart, from any of anybody involved? I did contact. We, uh, my fiance and I did contact the RCMP, and they are looking into it. They're looking into it. Yeah. If I hear your whole story, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, it just seems, strikes me that you're you've been an honest, taxpaying person your entire life, and you finally got. I have up never done people... anything bad in my entire life. Right. And you were just sick of seeing people break the rules. Well, congratulations on all the applause you've gotten. Uh, I know people are saying, you know, be careful. But uh, it's been great to talk to you, Elaine Galloway. Take care. Well, Aaron O'Toole has been leader of the Conservative Party for less than 18 months now. And tomorrow, it may all come to an end. His own caucus will decide his fate, voting on whether or not to allow him to stay or show him the door. Alberta MP Garnet Genus, who supported O'Toole for leadership in 2020, says the leader is in an untenable position. We're not seeing what we need to from the leadership right now. Uh, but I think when you have leadership uh, with, with vision that unites people, uh, that we're in a very strong uh, position going forward. Look, I'm, I'm optimistic about the future of our party. Uh, I think we need uh, new, strong, principled leadership. 
O'Toole supporters believe he has the votes he needs. O'Toole came out fighting on social media last night. So can he hang on? And even if he prevails, is it already too late to unite the party under his leadership? Joining me now is Tasha Carradine, principal at Navigator and a political columnist for Post Media. Welcome to the show. So Aaron O'Toole could be gone by tomorrow. And in an op-ed yesterday, though, you already said he was a dead man walking. Why is that? Well, I think it's because things have got to this point um, and there have been multiple points since the loss the Conservatives suffered in the election where his leadership's been challenged uh, immediately afterwards. Um, and then uh, Senator Batters recently um, and now this. Uh, and there's been grumbling along also, you know, by various uh, factions within the party, not happy with how he's handling things. Um, and so this is really almost the nail in the coffin. I mean, you've got 35 members of your caucus who sign a letter and say, we want to force a vote to get you out. A vote that, incidentally, they usually wouldn't have been able to have. They gave themselves that power after the election, which was another first, another indication that they were not confident and wanted to keep him on a short leash. So, you know, I think at this point, it's Fisher cut bait. Um, the party has to make a decision because you can't keep prevaricating like this. It's very destructive for them to continuously be infighting uh, or plotting behind the scenes. So uh, my sense is he will probably go, if not this week, at some point. That's the intelligence I got over the weekend that um, that his his days are numbered. Uh, but no one really knows exactly how many how many days that is. It could be tomorrow. It could it could be later. But I think the fact that he's calling it, he's saying let's do it, is a good thing to try and, and make a decision one way or the other. Was it any surprise to you that he came out fighting and, and and even though it looks like it could be very close and his hold on power is so tenuous, was it a surprise to you at all that he came out, came out swinging? Uh, no, I think, you know what? Um, some people said to me, this was the Aaron O'Toole they saw when he was running for the leader. <laughs> uh, very pugnacious and fighting. And uh, it's a little maybe too late, but um, I think it's better to go down swinging. I, I think that, um, you know, his, my understanding is his people think they have the votes to survive and the other side thinks they have the votes to take him down. So somebody's wrong in this mix, um, but somebody's also right. And I think he thinks that he can, he can hang on. Um, I think also it's a question of, you know, the direction of the party. And in that sense, uh, I think it's good that he's fighting. I personally feel that the direction that he want to take the party in the, in the election um, was the right one, uh, more open. Uh, you know, I didn't agree with all their policies individually, but the sense of let's open this party up, let's be modern, let's be inclusive, um, let's hew to conservative principles, but let's show people that we want them in our tent. Um, he didn't manage to do that. And the report that came out had a lot of things to say about the way he personally was as a leader and, and some decisions also in the campaign. So it was a mix of things. But um, if he's fighting for that direction, I think that's laudable too, because I think the other direction the party could go in, like you said, fork in the road, is is not the one that would uh, win them an election. I mean, we certainly saw that with the protests over the weekend, where this fork became even more prominent uh, based on what Aaron O'Toole was saying, based on what other members of his party were saying, our MPs. Where did you see that divide really pronounce itself over the past few weeks? And how is his hold on power slipped away even quicker than we expected? Well, I think that the weekend was an accelerant. Um, I think that uh, things building up to that point, uh, it sort of it sort of reached this fork in the road. Um, and I think part of it was obviously what what took place in terms of who was at this protest. Uh, yes, there were a lot of people who 
came there with, you know, just legitimately angry and upset about the pandemic and the way it's been handled. And they may have lost their business or, you know, their kids were out of school for a long time, or they just felt extremely frustrated. And they said this to to reporters, like I, I had to do something. I don't know what to do. So here I am making my voice heard. There's also this sort of hatred of Trudeau. That was the, you know, other big theme of this event. Um, so the conservatives saw it as a way to slam the prime minister. So sure, they latched onto that piece. But what was also in the mix, though, huh, were elements that if they get into the, t- the conservative party in any serious way, it would be absolutely toxic. Um, and I'm referring there to, uh, you know, people waving uh, swastika laden Canadian flags, people who uh, subscribe to white supremacist ideas, people with Confederate flags, um, the kinds of things that, uh, you know, we really in Canada don't want to see and have no place in our politics here in any party, quite frankly. Now, they were standing shoulder to shoulder with the people who, you know, had the legitimate grievances, but nobody called it out. Nobody on the spot said, put those flags away, get rid of those symbols, get out of here. We don't want you here. This is a protest of well-meaning people. Get out. Nobody did that, including Mr. O'Toole uh, and, and the other conservative politicians who were in the crowd. So that is a problem. <laughs> That is a real problem for the conservatives. And I think it's a problem also that, you know, that Mr. O'Toole maybe recognizes, which is why, you know, maybe he's welcoming this contest in a way because it's that that piece has to be crushed and squashed and and eliminated from the conservative lexicon. Because if it gets if if it if it, you know, people's in people's minds, they start to see the Tories tarred with that brush. That is really the end um, for the for the party. They are not going to come back from that in the minds of a lot of Canadians. For MPs that did wander out into that crowd, what do you think the political calculation was? They must have seen the signs. They must have known that there were lots of people out there whose support they did want, but must have recognized there were at least a few in there whose support they probably didn't want. What do you think the political calculation was in making that move? Well, I think the calculation was, like you said, that there's a lot of people in that crowd they want. There's a base there that definitely is a conservative base. Um, a lot of the, the folks came from out West, uh, where it's conservative seats. Um, so there's a sense of solidarity with people who were there who felt that, you know, Mr. Trudeau, again, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? So you're going to go after people who, who are mad at Justin Trudeau and say, well, support us. We're here for you. We're listening to you. Um, I think that they, I, I personally feel that they ignored the rest of it at their peril. They downplayed it. They said, well, you know, we don't like those things, but there are very few of them. They don't really represent this. Well, that's not good enough. That really is not good enough because the minute you're seen standing with someone who is hateful, you're not standing for freedom. You're by association standing with hate and you cannot do that. So I think they miscalculated. Um, I think that they don't quite appreciate maybe how serious the situation was and, you know, blame the media for overplaying those pieces. But, you know, uh, I don't think they were all like liberal plants and you've got all sorts of crazy ideas. You know, people are saying, oh, those flags weren't really, <laughs> they were just brought there by people who were wanted to make the things look bad. No, um, I think that um, they, they should have been more cognizant of, of the people that they were, they were mixing with. We were talking about this a bit earlier. The sense is that this could be a very a good time for an opposition party, especially a conservative party, with with all sorts of issues the government could be taken to task on. And yet it feels like the party's once again sort of fighting. What kind of damage does that do to the party in general? Well, it certainly distracts it from its role as official opposition. You're right. There's so much they could be talking about, whether it's inflation, 
for housing uh, or the way the pandemic's being handled going forward, uh, foreign affairs. I mean, you name it. Um, There's so many issues right now the government can be taken to task on. And instead, they're going to be focused or are focused on tearing each other apart. So, you know, for the liberals, at least short term, that gives them a pass, which is unfortunate for, you know, for the government, for, for Canada and for democracy and, and, and gov- good governance in general. Um, but the conservatives also could use this as an opportunity um, if they do end up in a leadership situation to really have an honest battle of ideas. And it's a battle for the soul of the party, basically, um, to, to come out of it as a strong party, as a more inclusive and open party and a party that can really appeal to the progressive conservatives who've left it in droves and who really, if they don't get those people back in the 905 and, uh, you know, in Quebec and uh, in urban centers across the country, they will not form a government, period. As someone who is once a, as you, once a member, I mean, how, how disappointing has it been to watch this fight go on? And where do you think, I mean, that's a pretty serious statement the soul of the party is at stake um Mm -hmm. you know that's that's it's that serious i think it is and it is hard to watch um you know i was involved with the conservative party when i was 14 years old uh until i was 29 um it was a big part of my life and uh after i left it and uh, went into media and was then not a member of the party anymore um i continued to observe it and uh you know write about it and critique it and uh follow everything um, with great interest. It's a, it's, it's a personal passion as well. Um, But it is, it is painful because I do remember the days of the old progressive conservative party. Um, I remember when reform, you know, split that, that family apart uh, and the painful exercise to get back together. Um, And this feels like, you know, deja vu. (laughs) And so um, I, I, Canada needs to have two strong parties that can uh, replace each other when, when one has been in too long. I mean, there's, there's an, all, in French, you say alternance. You have one party, you know, governments in waiting. Um, and uh, you, if you don't have that, you have no check or balance because you, you end up with a party that just dominates all the time. That's not healthy. So just from that perspective, it's painful to watch, but it's also painful because I really believe that the conservative ideal, if you really look at it, you know, from, from Edmund Burke to, uh, you know, uh, to fiscal conservatism as, as is practiced by Ronald Reagan, uh, Margaret Thatcher, sort of the icons of conservatism back in the 80s. There's so much there. This is such a rich tradition that it does, that we can draw on, that conservative small C can draw on, the party could draw on to really help Canada navigate the challenges of this century. And that's not happening. Um, the stuff we're seeing now is, you know, those Trumpist elements is populism, it is right-wing stuff that is not uh, in the Canadian mold of conservatism. And it's, I think, not in a healthy mold of conservatism. Some of it's not conservative at all. So yeah, it hurts a little to see that. I guess we'll find out tomorrow where the party's headed. I guess we will. And, uh, you know, it'll be another day. So no lack of drama. Yeah, Groundhog Day at that. Um, <laughs> Correct, Groundhog Ta- Day. Tasha Carradine, Principal Navigator and Political Columnist for Post Media. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ben. 